ask, are you guys rejoicing this time of the year, today, every day for that matter? Hey, uh, I want you to imagine, let's say that you're a courier and you're carrying a very, very valuable, highly classified document. You want to make sure that you don't get it into the wrong hands. You've got to get it to the right person. So it's a particular person that you have to bring it to. You don't know who they are. You don't know what they look like. You've never seen them before. How can you recognize and then be sure that you get this important document to that person? How do we know that they're not an imposter, somebody who is the wrong one? Well, you have to have a number of marks of identification, don't you? Like, maybe gender would help a little bit, maybe the size of the person, maybe hair color, uh, different things about them, maybe their complexion, maybe the meeting location where you're going to be at, uh, what they're going to be wearing. You know, those kind of things are important, aren't they? Those are identification marks. So the, uh, the better chance that you'll have, the more that you have of these, to identify that right person. Well, the Bible, the Holy Bible says, as it said in that song, has done precisely this. It has made the identification of the right person giving us many details And, of course, there's dozens and dozens of ways to identify the promised deliverer that was long ago put forth in the Old Testament. And so what we're going to do today is look at this and realize the uh, just astonishing characteristic marks of who Jesus is said about him long before he was ever born as uh, a man. Now the problem is today there are a lot of agnostics, a lot of atheists, who really have no hope, yet they will argue antagonistically against the fact that Jesus was even here. They will even say that he never even existed despite the fact of what the Bible says, even historians uh, such as Tacitus of the Romans or Josephus, who was a Jew, who was not a Christian, even identified this person, Jesus. And of course they identified the people who followed him. So how do we answer these kind of questions and doubts lovingly, and yet at the same time boldly. How do we do that? Well, one of the best ways is through prophecy. It's proof. It is proof that is uh, an, an evidence. When you have evidence, it's time for the people that didn't believe in that to at least maybe take their minds and try to reason at least, could this be true? Um, you know, we're going to go all the way back to look at the birth of Christ through the Old Testament, and we're going to look at who Jesus is and how He came here and also where He came to and then even when He came. Those things are told. Those are pretty good characteristic marks 
to identify this Jesus and His birth. Not to mention all the other prophecies, 300 prophecies that deal with His life and death and burial and resurrection and uh, His glory. We're just going to focus on His birth alone. And if just a couple of these could be true, it is not something to deny. It's something to search out and check. And of course, because He came to earth, He offers the hope, doesn't He? A hope, not not despair. And we know there was a Septuagint written that was like hundreds of years before Christ that was put in Greek. We also know that there were the Dead Sea Scrolls that were found that predate Christ. So this is pre-written history. Does that make sense? It's written before it happens. It actually comes true. Now, once or twice you could say, okay, that's just an accident. Lucky, right? But when you put so many together, it is astronomical and there is no way that mathematically and the probability that could happen. So we, uh, we look at the Word of God and we let Him speak about the birth of Christ, the Son of God, who is the real Christmas. So uh, we'll be looking at a lot of texts today. There's not one particular one that uh, we're, uh, we're hitting at here. Um, let's look at the promised deliverer. So we have to start right in the very first book, and a lot of these are going to be right in Genesis. Of course, in Genesis 3, we know that there was sin of Adam and Eve, and uh, we know how it came in. We're, we know that story. There was a sign given because of that of a promised seed. And it's really about deliverance of man. Because of that sin, he could have been put to a condemnation forever and all people that would be born would never have a chance. But instead, we see a glimmer, just a glimpse to start things off. Here we have... uh, God speaking to the serpent in verse 14 of Genesis 3. The Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you more than all cattle and more of every beast of the field. On your belly you will go, dust you will eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise you on the head and you shall bruise him on the heel. So Satan will bring suffering to the seed and the people of that seed, but this one here, he shall bruise you, the serpent, on the head. That is something that is desperately bad. The head being bruised. We're talking about uh, uh, finally stopping this enmity and we get the story that he's there's a seed. And usually it comes from the male, but here that's a seed that's in the woman here that eventually be, of course we look at it ahead of time, in the Virgin Mary. But here is this godly seed that will be produced. He, it is a he, so we see that it's a boy child, right? A man-child, he's human, um, has personality. So this is the sign of the promised seed. And this is the beginning of the road signs. We call this the proto-evangelium, which we've talked about uh, many times. 
So we start with that. Eve is the mother of all the living. Many sons will and daughters will come after her. And so whom do we look? Well, we look at Cain and Abel. Cain killed Abel. Cain is not in the godly line. Abel is a godly one, but he is killed. So who else are we going to look at to? Um, there's going to be destruction. There's going to be deception that comes from the ungodly seed. But there's a godly seed. Now there's a son, and let's go to Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, just for quick reference. Way later, we get this. For a child will be born to us. A son will be given to us. That's as far as I'm going to go right now. But this is, because we can look back on it, we know that this is who? The Messiah. And we see in verse 7, it talks about He'll be on the throne of David and over His kingdom. So He's after the time of David. After the time of Isaiah, He's talking in the future here. But when He says a child, that's dealing with Him being a person. Grew up to be a man. He'll be born to us. And of course, that's what Christmas Day is about, right? Christ being born. But a son will be given to us. He will come from the Father. He will come from heaven. He will be given to us. A son is dealing with his deity. He's the Son of God. He's the Son of man. He's the Son of God. And so Isaiah projects that to us. If you look in Daniel chapter 7, verse 13, we see again something about son. He, as far as uh, what we read in the Proto-Evangelium, He, one will come as as a seed, comes from Eve. So Daniel 7.13 Kept looking in the night visions, behold with the clouds of heaven, one like a son of man was coming. And he came up to the Ancient of Days, was presented before him, and to him was given a dominion, glory, and kingdom that all the peoples, nations, and men of every language might serve him. His dominion is everlasting, dominion which will not pass away. His kingdom is one which will not be destroyed. His kingdom is forever. He will live forever. He's also called the Ancient of Days. Right here in our... Daniel 7.13, He's a Son of Man. He's the Ancient of Days. He's the Eternal One. So that's the idea. We, we have this in later prophecy and we kind of see these later. In Psalm 2.7, you will get the uh, Son. You think of Son of God. You think of Son of Man. Psalm 2, uh, a great text to draw from as far as the kingdom that will be given to this Anointed One. 2.7 says, I will surely tell of the decree, the purpose, the plan of the Lord. He said to me, You are my son. Today I have begotten you. So there's the father speaking to the son. You are my son. 
Today I have begotten you. He became, he is a son, he's an eternal son, but he's the son because he's the second person of the Trinity. And of course, we relate to son because he's the son of man. He's man and he's, he's God. So we have quite the illustration here uh, as we see in this promised seed. And we see where it's projecting. We went way ahead, but what, what we do now is go back to Genesis 4. And we see that it is going to be coming from Eve, but eventually it'll be coming from a he'll be coming from a woman. The the godly seed will go to that point. Genesis four, twenty-five and twenty-six. Adam had relations with his wife again, and she gave birth to a son and named him Seth. Now Cain, Abel. Abel has been murdered by his brother. She gives birth to a son and named him Seth, for she said, God has appointed me another offspring in place of Abel, for Cain killed him. To Seth, to him also a son was born, and he called his name Enosh. Then men began to call upon the name of the Lord. So here is the godly line, and it's Seth. It's another birth that comes from Eve gave birth to many by the way the word Seth means to be appointed to be to be placed to, to set to place to appoint and that is Seth she says this is the one this is the seed that God promised well true but it's in a long line of this godly seed and this is where this this goes uh, we're, we're kind of getting the idea of where to look for the Messiah. You know, how I, God is identifying the seed. But if you just had these in Genesis 3 and Genesis 4, you don't see a whole lot about Jesus the Messiah, right? Keeps building though. Keeps building. She takes this promise that God gives. We have a, a godly line that is going and it continues in that godly line until a lot of them become corrupt. The world becomes corrupt. You have an ungodly line. God has to do what? To destroy the earth. There's really only one seed and, and, the, and all the ones that were righteous have already have died. This took hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years. Now we have the flood. God has to destroy it there's only one family. It's Noah and his family. And they're going to have to be now the ones that carry the seed. So now we have the point, it has to be at Noah and his wife, his, uh, the family that's after him, and we know that he has, uh, you know, of course, the three sons, uh, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. And we know now the entire human race is going to come from them. Which one would be the godly line out of Shem, Ham, and Japheth? So we're narrowing this down a little bit. Well, it's going to come from Shem. We, we turn to Genesis 9, 25. The promise is still going to continue here, even despite the flood. We look at 9, 25. So he said, Cursed be Canaan. Now, he is the one who that comes from actually Ham, 
But here it is, a son is going to be cursed. A servant of servants, he shall be to his brothers. He also said, Blessed be the Lord, the God of Shem. So he blesses who? Shem. And let Canaan be his servant. The line of Ham. So he's considered to be the blessed one now, Shem is. May God enlarge Japheth and let him dwell in the tents of Shem. And let Canaan be his servant. So you have all three of the brothers representing as they continue on out. It spreads out. Do you know who uh, Shem is as far as being, having descendants? They're called the Semites, which would include the people you know, in the east. The Jewish people are Semites. Semites. Coming from Shem's, that's Shem's posterity. From Shem now would come the deliverer. It started just with general who the people were, even though there was a godly line. And now we see, after the flood, now it is Shem that it's coming from, the deliverer. And the next one is one who happens to be in Ur of the Chaldees. Well, if you go to Ur, a Chaldean area there, it's really the seat almost like a capital of or a center of idolatry. And you have gods and gods and gods. This is after the flood and all this spread out. There was not one god. There were many gods. Idolatry had spread all over. And God had a call to Abraham. And Abraham, or Abram at that time, was called by God he believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness as he believed the one true God and God told him now, you know, you, you will multiply and I want you to go to this land and, and leave everything. So we see that in Genesis 12 and I'm not going to turn there for now. I will turn to chapter 17 and you have a covenant here that is made with Abraham. And in verse 9 it says, Now as for you, you shall keep my covenant, you and your descendants after you throughout their generations. This is my covenant which you shall keep between me and you and your descendants after you. Every male among you shall be circumcised. And you shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskin, and it shall be the sign of the covenant between me and you. And here are descendants talking about this is how they're going to be marked. Now we are going to get to a nation of people. Starts with Abram, but out of Abram and his descendants now is going to be the one marked nation, the nation of Israel. Well, we know kind of the story of Abram and Abraham as he's named later the father of multitude finally gets one or one child born from him and his wife but before he tried to help out, right? And uh, of course that really wasn't what God had in mind but from the loins of Abram is the promised seed now going to come from Abram's people. And if we turn to Genesis 21, verse 12, keep marching through Genesis. Genesis 21, 
God said to Abraham, Do not be distressed because of the lad and your maid. That's Ishmael. This is the way that Abraham was going to help out God. And that would today would be the Arab people or you think of the Muslims, the neighbors of Israel. And so we see how that led to. But he says, Whatever Sarah tells you, listen to her. For through Isaac your descendants shall be named. It's not going to come through Ishmael. It's going to come through his wife, Sarah. His name is Isaac. So the descendants are going to come from him. It's getting narrowed down here. And who is the descendant of Isaac? Well, there are twins born. Esau. First, Jacob, right out after him. But the first one born gets the, those rights, right? And those particular blessings that they would give. But God made it go to Jacob. And so now we get to Jacob and we get these road signs. We see the nation that, that's happening. It's not going to be through Esau, which is later on known as Edom and around that area east of Israel, we get from Jacob, not Esau, it's not Ishmael, we've already seen that, now we we get this line here going, and it's going to be through uh, Israel, or Jacob, Jacob is renamed by God Israel, or wrestling with God, if we turn to Genesis 49.10, how many sons did Jacob have? We think of the twelve tribes of Israel. The twelve tribes of Jacob. Well, he has a prophecy near the end of his life, gives a blessing. Verse 10, he says this, the scepter, that's what would be recognized along with the king, a ruler. The scepter shall not depart from Judah. Twelve tribes of Israel, one of them is Judah. Nor the ruler's staff from between his feet until Shiloh comes. And to him shall be the obedience of the peoples. By this time, you know, of course, they've always been looking for the Messiah. Shiloh is Messiah. This is going to stay in this line. It's going to come from Judah, one of his twelve sons. Judah means what? Praise. So Jacob pronounces blessing on him. The ruler in Israel, a kingly line is going to have to come from Judah. Judah only. So first... Judah would become the royal line. We haven't had that before now in these prophecies, right? I know we're going rather slowly. <laughs> but it might be going like this. You go, whoa, wait a minute. But as, as we get a little bit closer, we know there's a royal line now. The scepter. Ruler. And it's all the way till uh, Messiah. This line is going to continue. Second, it is not saying that Judah began to rule and there would always be someone on the throne of Israel. 
Because there were were not. Because the line that the kings broke. The line didn't. But after Babylon, the deportation, that was the end of the kings. We didn't have any more kings, Israel would say. Till Shiloh comes. And so what it is saying is that there's a declaration here that the right to rule will always come from this line of Judah. And it did. And of course, when Messiah came, He had the right to rule because He had to come from where? He had to come from a tribe of Judah. Now in Israel, there were 12 tribes. So what, what's the chance of Him being even born in, uh, of Israel? One twelfth, right? He happens to be that. So we're narrowing it down. It's becoming less and less people, isn't it, that, that uh, he can come through. Um, there was a problem uh, with Judah also. Judah, Tamar, it's found in Judah, or, or in uh, Genesis 38, 24, think of that area. Um, it was the sin of Judah. And what it was is he wound up having uh, illegitimate children. Twins. There was Perez and his twin was Zira. Perez was the firstborn. He became the seed of the royal line. Now he's in the in, in Judah. He, he is the seed of this to keep it going. But it's a, he's illegitimate. What does the law say about illegitimacy? What well, says that? He and his sons up to the tenth generation cannot be a king or a priest. Well, in the Judah line, you can't be a priest. You can only be in a king. That's the kingly line. But until the tenth generation, so they're going to be, you know, he's going to have a son. He's going to have a son. It just it goes right on down. One of those happened to be Jesse. By the time that came, Jesse was the father uh, of David. David is a king that is to come. Saul was the first king, but that really wasn't God's real choice ultimately. Um, It's really David. David is the tenth. uh, You know, you have Jesse the ninth, David the tenth. Uh, you can look in Ruth. You know the story of Ruth is quite incredible, isn't it? Before the uh, book of Samuel, Ruth and Joshua judges Ruth, right? And in Ruth four eighteen it says, "Now these are the generations of Perez. Number one, to Perez was born Hezron." Two, and to Hezron was born Ram, three, and to Ram Abinadab, four, Abinadab was born Nashon, five, and to Nashor Salmon, six, and to Salmon was born Boaz, seven, to Boaz was born Obed, eight, to Obed was born Jesse, number nine, until the tenth generation to Jesse was David. They didn't have a king until really there was Saul. But Saul filled in until David was old enough because God is the one who had chosen him. 
using Samuel. Now, it's narrowing. This is all written. It's been written beforehand, and then we look at it as it was originally written down after it happened. And David is the forerunner of the king that is to come. He's the royal line, isn't he? Now we get this, it comes from Judah. David is from the tribe of Judah. And so here we have this. So guess what? David now comes from not illegitimacy because that's now been removed. And Jesus has to come from David here as being the king and not being recognized with the other ones with the sin that had happened and against the law. So we have thousands of the line of Judah who are now eliminated. The identification is becoming clearer and clearer. God's word is not broken. David is free from the curse of Judah's sin. Even though it's coming from Judah, Judah's sin was that that is cursed. It's removed at the point of David. He is the rightful king. He's the forefather of the Messiah. So the line is purified, right? So that's how we've we've gotten so far. And of course, we're familiar with Boaz and you know Ruth, right? And then Jesse and then David. So the family of Jesse is involved. Turn to Isaiah chapter eleven. Verse 1, Then a shoot will spring from the stem of Jesse, and a branch from his roots will bear fruit. The clues are getting a little more clear. Still difficult. But by Isaiah's time, we're in like the 700s B.C., David was around 1,000 B.C. So let's say close to 250 years or so, (coughs) give or take a few years. This is what Isaiah says. And he says, A shoot will spring from the stem of Jesse. Jesse happens to be the father of David, right? And a branch, or Netzer, or even Nazarite, possibly, from his roots will bear fruit. So it's not only talking about Jesse and David, but now we're talking about the Messiah because this is a messianic chapter. This is the righteous reign of the branch. Staying in chapter 11, look at verse 10. Then in that day the nations will resort to the root of Jesse, who will stand as a signal for the people's And his resting place will be glorious. Speaking of the glorious, the glorious one, Christ, the Messiah. And Isaiah 11, 12, 13, um, you get a lot all about uh, God's judgment. It's all pre-written, pre-written history. So, now... um, Go back to Isaiah 9, 6 and 7. For a child will be born to us, a son will be given to us, 
the government will rest on His shoulders and His name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. We sang about this earlier, didn't we? There will be no end to the increase of His government or of peace, peace with God, on the throne of David. Remember, Isaiah wrote well after the time of David. And over his kingdom, during the time of Isaiah, there were kings. Most of them were bad kings. There were a few good. They were still on the line of David, though. To establish it and to uphold it with justice and righteousness. From then on and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will accomplish this. Now, Christians have been known to use this Isaiah 9, 6, and 7. Isn't this all too familiar with this? This is messianic. A child will be born to us. You see it on the, the Christmas cards, right? A son will be given to us. Deity. Humanity. Identifying that He will have a government. He will be a king. Wonderful counselor. Can you imagine somebody who always has the right thing to say? It helps people out in, in the truth. He's mighty God. So the king is going to be God with all this power. This is messianic. It's more than just a man. This is deity. Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. So we have the, this one who is God, power, He's the one that's going to be leading and it'll go forever. Never to be broken. Well, prophecies are becoming even more precise. Not only now do we know, you know like about the line, but we're going to get into when and where this is going to happen. This is absolutely incredible, folks. This is mighty intriguing. David has a son who becomes king and his name is Solomon. It's passed to him. Uh, go to 2 Samuel chapter 7. We've heard this many, many times down through the years, but it never gets old, does it? This is the Christmas story from Genesis to the Gospels, right? 2 Samuel 7, verse 12. When your days are complete, he's speaking to David here, Samuel is, and this is the word of the Lord coming, you will lie down with your fathers, you'll die. I will raise up your descendant after you, who will come forth from you, and I will establish his kingdom. Right there he's saying, you're going to have a descendant who's going to take your place. This is a covenant. This is called the Davidic covenant. We looked at the Abrahamic covenant. It's a promise. And it's much more promise than Abram even had. He says, okay, you're going to have one. Of course, that's Solomon, isn't it? But as we look into this, it's not only Solomon, but a lot of it is pointing to the Messiah. The Davidic line. The Lion of Judah. The Son of David as he is known as. David was a powerful king. 
He'll come forth from you in verse 12. I'll establish His kingdom. He shall build a house for My name and I will establish the throne of His kingdom forever. This would be ultimately the Messiah. I will be a father to Him and He will be a son to Me. Now you'll notice the next section. This would be Solomon. When he commits iniquity, I will correct him with the rod of men, the strokes of the sons of men, but my loving kindness shall not depart from him as I took it away from Saul when I removed from before you. Your house and your kingdom shall endure before me forever. Your throne shall be established forever. Solomon dies. But he's a picture of the one to come. Solomon is shalom. Shalom means what? Peace on earth. When you see that on the Christmas cards, it's not talking about the peace that the nations we have. And you know, we can pray all day long about there be peace on on this world, and there could be for a little while, but it's not going to last forever. You're always going to have wars and rumors of wars. Jesus said that. But the peace is peace between us and God. And eventually there will be absolute peace forevermore, right? Without any wars. So David gave those, or Nathan gave those words to David, as it is spoken here. So in the chapter seven, okay, this was the covenant. He had the right to rule. Um, Jesus would remain with, uh, or uh, when you think of this, it, we know that back in Genesis forty nine ten, where it said the scepter, and it'll it'll remain in Judah. It will remain right on through and it's permanently established through Messiah. Let's look at the fulfillment of that in Luke 1, 32 and 33. You have an angel visiting. An angel comes, speaks, in um, 32, this is to Mary. He will be... Okay, verse 31 says, You shall name Him Jesus. Okay, He will be great. He shall be called the Son of the Most High. That's deity. And the Lord God will give Him the throne of His father David. Angel speaking to Mary. Wow. Imagine if you heard this and you saw this. And he will reign over the house of Jacob, or Israel, forever, and his kingdom will have no end. We just read that. Forever, right? Every king has died in this line of Judah, and Davidic line. Mary said to the angel, How can this be since I'm a virgin? And this is where this comes in. The angel answered and said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you. The power of the Most High will overshadow you. And for that reason, the Holy Child shall be called the Son of God. So, along the course of prophetic history, we deal with this royal line and the Messiah's birth. She is a virgin. It's prophesied. Isaiah chapter 7. And of course, Matthew picks up on that and talks about that, of how that's fulfilled. In Isaiah 7, 14, 
and really what you have here is um, it's a it's spoken specifically to the people at that time but it's expanding much further to the Messiah he's saying that there's going to be a wondrous uh, child through a, a virgin as a sign of deliverance to the whole house of David uh, you know the birth of Messiah the, the miracle of the virgin birth here just as we had read the the angel the angel spoke to Joseph in in, in Matthew for instance um, but we read in 7.14, Therefore the Lord Himself will give you a sign. Behold, a virgin will be with child and bear a son, and she will call His name Emmanuel. That is rather remarkable. 700 years or so before Christ, Isaiah here is given some uh, information that's incredible. It, of course, it's talking about uh, as far as Israel is uh, concerned, uh, there was, there's, a, there's a sign and a promise here is what it's about. But the, it's assuring the house of David, first of all, that the alliance of Syria and Israel, alliance, God said, you never take allies. It will not come into play. It will not happen. Now that's kind of starting at the first part of this chapter, in short, what, what is being said here at the very outset. There would never be an imposter sit on the throne of David. It, it, the house of David is going to be there, but we're not going to t- be allied. So that's one thing it's saying. Secondly, I believe the promise of the sign and the virgin birth was saying that the line of David, which had spiritually degenerated, right, had become very sinful, it would be replaced by one who was not degenerate and he has the rightful place to be able to take that. So he has the royal rights to the throne. Jesus does as, as a Messiah. God would set aside the physical line of merely human and degenerate kings and mankind and then ultimately give it to this Messiah. Now, there's, there's another problem that comes along. God has to judge Israel, right? Around 600 B.C., He brings on Babylon. And He prophesied many years that this would happen. It happened historically. It did. You can look in the history books. They, they were deported. The city of Jerusalem destroyed. Israel destroyed. People were taken. The king was taken. And he was shipped off. He you know, dies. And he was in the royal line of David, but he was a bad king. That's one of the reasons Israel had gotten where they had gotten, and of course they were idolatrous and such. But there's a curse of uh, that Jeconiah is going to get from God. And I'll tell you that in a moment. But there's a deliverance that's going to happen with God's people. And that's, of course, that's what your Isaiah 7.14 is about. Emmanuel. God with us. That's not His name. We don't see in the New Testament where people always go up to Him and say, Emmanuel, Emmanuel. But it is a way with saying God is with us. primary purpose of the prophecy uh, that we're dealing with here is a sinful, degenerate, wicked, merely human line of Ahaz. Think of Him. You know, it's how impotent. But this marvelous Son 
that is found in Isaiah 9-6, which we kept coming back. He's going to be the mighty God. He's going to rule. He's reign. We, we see where He's coming from. There's a title that He has, Emmanuel. It's going to be God with us. God is coming to reign, is the idea. Uh, look in Micah chapter 5, verse 2. Micah's in the uh, Minor Prophets. A couple of things here, but we'll get to one of them right away. Micah 5 2. But as for you, Bethlehem, Ephratah, too little to be among the clans of Judah, Bethlehem was in the area of Judah. That's where the, the you know the people of Judah had originally settled. Said so you're 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 small. I mean, who are you? Bethlehem, it's a little place. From you, one will go forth for me to be ruler in Israel. His goings forth are from long ago, from the days of eternity. I'm not really hitting on Bethlehem here. I'll come to that in a moment. What we're hitting on is that one will go forth from me, ruler in Israel. His goings forth are from long ago. Micah is prophesying ahead of time, but he has always been here because this is from the days of eternity. That qualifies to be God. He's eternal. He's God. Again, we're getting a lot of prophecies about not only being the baby child, but also who else? God come to earth. Incredible. Virgin... Keep talking about that virgin birth. And of course we read that in Isaiah 7 there. It means a mature, young, unmarried, and chaste woman. A young woman whose characteristics are of virginity. There are other words for one who is a young woman. But this word Alma is dealing with a virgin. A virgin will bear a son. Go to Matthew 1.23. And that's why in Isaiah 9.6 a son will be born. Matthew 1.23. I promise I'll be pretty quick here. My voice is going out. <laughs> Behold, the virgin shall be with child. Now this is the angel speaking to Joseph this time. And she'll bear a son. I think we were singing a song that Penny sang. Said the same thing, right? And they shall call his name Emmanuel, which translated means God with us. So that is how that came out to be. But Micah, you know, and some of these other ones, and Isaiah uh, have been speaking of this this God. Um, child be given, given by God. We could go into the whole story in Luke 1 and 28-35, through 35, but we're going to move on and you need to move real quickly now. We've seen a lot of details. Have you ever known of anybody prophesying of somebody that people would know of and you could tell them exactly where they're going to be born at? Well, it would be easy if somebody... Uh, you know, somebody, uh, a lady's pregnant, and she's two months, three months along or something, say, yeah, he's going to be born at St. Mary's Hospital. 
And pretty well give you a pretty good time, a uh, uh, date when that might be. But that's during the time of the pregnancy. We're talking about hundreds of years before there's anybody. I mean, that you don't know what's happening, right? Humans don't know that. So how can all of this come together in one single person? You know, we've read how this, this happens. He goes to Bethlehem, right? Joseph and, and uh, Mary do. We know the reason why. We won't get into that story. We don't have time. But he has to register there. And there happens to be a decree. That's not by accident. This is ultimately God's decree, but it was the king's decree. And, and of course, there's the, you know, that whole story. And Herod the Great, knowing there's like children to and under, he went and had male children to and under all killed. And um, here it is bearing down to the fact that we read in Micah 5.2 about Bethlehem. He's, the parents are not living there. They live in Nazareth. But somehow, Bethlehem comes into play. And, you know, the Micah prophecy was well known by anybody. Uh, the Jews knew about where he was going to be born. Especially the you know Pharisees and such. That's why whenever the men from the east came, they told them where this was at. You know, the religious leaders told Herod precisely where he was to be born in Bethlehem, the house of bread. But there's something interesting in Hosea. You get another place that's dealing with him coming, the Messiah coming from some other place. So he's going to come from Bethlehem, but Hosea 11.1 says, When Israel was a youth, I loved him. And out of Egypt I called my son. Well, that would be easy. That's the nation of Israel. And that was, you know, God gave birth to that nation out of Abraham's loins. And they later went to Egypt and God delivered them out of Egypt. But it's interesting. Abraham went to Egypt and Isaac later, didn't he go to Egypt? And Jacob, uh, Joseph went to Egypt. There was kind of a place there that they kept going to. Well, we know in the Gospels, Jesus actually, uh, along with Mary and Joseph, is taken to Egypt because of the children, the boys, two and under. And so it was a place of refuge. Many times this had been a place of refuge. And so it's protected for a time. The gifts of the Magi are significant. Gold, frankincense, and myrrh. You're getting gold. They're going to be away for a while. Joseph is not working. So he had to make this trip, and now he's going to go further, which is going to take some time. going to have to have money to be able to live, to feed your family. Gold. Who knows how much, but it came from these guys from the east who had a lot of it. It would be much value in traveling, wouldn't it? You ever thought about that? They had to go to Egypt. So there, Hosea is pointing to one even further. And that actually uh, is picked up on by the New Testament, Matthew 2.15. 
got to get to the rest of the story here somehow. What about there? 2.15, he remained there. Oh, verse 14. So Joseph got up, took the child and his mother while it was still night and left for Egypt. This is dealing with the, you know, the wise men. And they've been told, and he's been told that, you know, he could be killed. They went to Egypt. He remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what had been spoken by the Lord through the prophet, Out of Egypt I called my son. Matthew picked up on that, didn't he? Picked up on the virgin passage. Picks up on the out of Egypt. He's putting this together. That's right. Okay. Okay, this is the story. He went to Egypt. He's from Bethlehem. No. This is really detailed. Because how could you do this hundreds of years before somebody's ever born? Tell who it is, how they're going to be born, and where it is that they live. So how does Nazareth get into this? Joseph married from Nazareth to Bethlehem to Egypt, back up to around the Jerusalem area, and King Archelaus now is ruling there, and that's not good. This guy is a killer. We better get out of here. Where are they going to go? They're going to go back up to Nazareth. And in Matthew 2.23, Matthew says this. 22, Then after being warned by God in a dream, and He left for the regions of Galilee, from Judah on up to Galilee, and came and lived in a city called Nazareth, or Netzer, or... Maybe even this branch. The branch. The righteous branch that we read about. This was to fulfill what was spoken through the prophets. He shall be called a Nazarene. Nazareth. Bethlehem. Egypt. These are all in the story. Said beforehand. Who has the right to the throne? Well, the Messiah does. About that curse, real quick, Jeconiah, Babylon. There's the curse. This is going to be carried out. We don't have any more kings. So what about David's line that God gave a promise to David? From what? 600 years. You have no king, basically. You really don't have one. And then you have the Messiah. Remember the promises to David, the Davidic promises. How does the virgin birth accomplish this? We have the uh, the legal son of Joseph, Joseph being the father of Jesus, only in adoption, right? If you were to go to that line, you get the royal line of David, then Solomon, and that gave Jesus the legal right title to be to the throne. Legal. It is adoption. And you get that in Matthew. Okay, That is the um, genealogy. And a king has to have that. In the book of Luke, you get a genealogy of Mary. 
like Mary has the seed, this is where virgin birth really comes into play because you still have the Jeconiah and you still it's like you have really a curse there. Jesus is not going to be associated with that in one sense. That's why He has to pure and the virgin birth. There was another son that David had and did you know what his name is? Nathan. And through Nathan, that's who was identified with Mary. Coming from the that the loins. Look in Luke three twenty. Well, just look in Luke three for a moment. I won't read the whole thing. Got to bury this really quick. Luke three. The genealogy starts in twenty three. And you know what it does? It goes backwards. Now Matthew starts, you know, and builds on up to Jesus. Here it starts from Jesus, as was supposed, was the son of Joseph, right? Joseph and Mary, son of Eli. And I'm not going to read them all, but go all the way down. By the way, you even have Zerubbabel there, you know, in that, who happens to be in that uh, Zechariah prophecy or book. Uh, drop all the way down to verse 31. The son of Melia, the son of Mena, the son of Mathata, the son of Nathan, the son of David, the son of Jesse, the son of Obed, the son of Boaz, um, son of Salmon, and you, you know, you go on down. But this is from Judah. Now, but this is through Mary. Now, it does mention here that it's, uh, you know, he was the son of Joseph. But this genealogy is Mary's genealogy. This is actually coming from uh, Mary and, and, of course, that, that line. And it goes all the way back to the son of Adam, the son of God. And so he has the right, not only of the adopted way, but also through the, the seed, this virgin birth. So it tells us where and what, how all this is going to be. And it's during the time of Messiah's birth. Uh, the time of Messiah's birth, I don't have enough time. I've done it many, many times. And that's uh, Daniel chapter 9, verse 24 through 27. And it talks about when sin will be done away with and, and such. And it talks about this ruler that will come. Uh, his name is, uh, as Daniel puts forth, it's, it's the Messiah. He is the one to look to. We get the date of when this is. The time. What it is, it starts uh, at whenever the walls were to be built, which is 445 B.C. for 483 years. 70 weeks a year, don't have time to explain it. I've done Bible studies and it takes a whole Bible study. So you have to just trust me or just say, I've got to check into this. But anyway, you have the, the, the seven weeks a year, 483 years, and it's been done by um, um, many people, but there was one from England, um, Sir, whatever. Anyway, um, he did the math. Counted it out. 360 days were in their year for the Jewish year. It's counted up. And to that very day, we get to where Jesus marched into the city of Jerusalem. Hosanna. Right? 
people are, you know, they recognize that he is, he's their king, he's the Messiah, this is the one. And they're the very ones a few days later are going to be crucifying him. They're going to be saying that. That's Palm Sunday as we know it. When he came in, presented himself as king, riding on the foal of a donkey, and they recognize him as the king. But that wasn't the king they wanted as he dies for them, the triumphal entry. If you take that back, then we know that that was probably somewhere, uh, you know, 32, 33 A.D. Then if you take it to that very day, if you take it back, uh, there's discrepancy on whether he was born uh, at zero. You know, you think of zero and then A.D. 1. You go from B.C. 1 to A.D. 1. Uh, Could be, uh, you know, a couple years before, a couple years after. But if we count that, from what uh, was said, you get a time when this one came. So we even get that. And what about the star? The wise men. And they're not men of magic. Um, they're ones who study stars. And something was supernatural about this. They're astrologers. The sign of the star is highly significant. And of course, they show up. That plays a big role. They take Numbers 24:17 as the last one I'm going to do here, and we'll just read it. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers 24:17. They were from the east. Probably might have heard of Daniel and his prophecies. Uh, Daniel had been there in Babylon, and then through the Medes and the Persians, and uh, very well could have gotten uh, a copy of the Bible, and of course later on the one written in Greek, uh, whatever it is, in 24.17 it says this, I see Him, but not now. I behold Him, but not near. It's way back in Numbers. Moses wrote this. A star shall come forth from Jacob. A star. A scepter shall rise from Israel and shall crush through the forehead of Moab, tear down all the sons of Sheth. means he's mighty, he's powerful. A star shall come forth from Jacob, uh, from Israel. A scepter shall rise. And of course that's that uh, kingly line. They came there to to worship him. Uh, Because of these stellar manifestations, they had come to Jerusalem to seek out the Messiah of Israel. They probably knew something about this. Whatever it was, they were drawn by it. They come right to Him. Give Him the gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And what do they do when they get there? They worship Him. They, They see that He is God. He is the Messiah. Clear marks of identification. I know we've gone from Genesis all the way to uh, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John, and New Testament, but there are marks of identification that this could not happen to just anyone. If this just happened with maybe just three of these prophecies, it would be overwhelming, wouldn't it? That you could name somebody who's going to be born in a particular city at a particular time and tell him what family that he's going to come from. What's the odds of that happening? Humanly, it couldn't. Astronomical. It behooves us, I think, to 
know these great prophecies and the fact and the truth these prophecies give us great joy. Have you had comfort and joy in looking at these scriptures, the ones you've probably read so many times, and it just reminds us a little bit more of why this is truth. The Old Testament, just prophecy alone, should be evident that Jesus not only existed, but He died for our sins. The King who rose. Let's pray. Father, thank You for this day. Thank You for this truth. May it make an impact on all of our lives and an impact on anybody that we can share. Just just a truth. Just one of these that You've given us here. In Jesus' name, Amen.